Let's turn together in our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. I don't know about you, but I have been greatly challenged so far in our time in 1 Timothy. It's kind of a book that kind of punches you in the gut regularly, but in a good way to get you to rethink how you are living. And yet today, actually, we begin something that is more challenging, not so much to hear as much as it may actually be to preach. Paul has reminded us from the very beginning of this letter that we came into Christ through faith, not by law-keeping, that if we are that if we are saved this morning, if our sins are forgiven, if we have been made right with God, it is because God has done something, not us. That it's because God has sent his son Jesus in the flesh to save sinners. And that if we are right, it's because of that. Not because we've accomplished something, but because God has accomplished something for us, that he has done it. And so he is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And then Paul continues the letter saying to Timothy, Timothy, God desires all people to be saved. So you should desire that too. God desires to change the world through salvation, to see the world covered with the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. And that's what he wants. That's what he's working towards. And so he's writing to the church to say, this is what you should be wanting too. This should be your desires as well. This should be your mission as well, the salvation of sinners. So we are to pray for that. We are to pray that the God of our salvation becomes the God of their salvation. And from there on, he actually starts giving commands to the church of how we are to function, of how we are to look, of how our gatherings are to be. And so I want us to read together, starting at chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 8, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. This is what he writes. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, in love, and holiness with self-control. Thanks for coming today. Let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Father, you are God, you are sovereign, you are good. And your word is sovereign and your word is good. Even the hard parts. So Father, today we ask that you would open your word to us and you would open uh, uh, us up to you. Our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, everything about us. 
Everything about us should be submissive to you because you are our sovereign king, our creator, our savior. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, so your word does not need updating. That even when culture changes, your word stays the same because you stay the same. So, Father, may we find ourselves as a church and as individuals submitting to you not to the world. Father, we know ourselves well enough to know that we still fight against our flesh. We still fight against our doubts. We still fight against this desire to be God ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that today we would see you rightly. Father, I thank you for the goodness of brothers and sisters. That, Father, you call us not to fight against one another, but to fight together, even to fight for one another. And, Father, I pray that you would enable us to do that better. You would give us the love for one another that you have for us. That you would give us eyes to see each other the way you see us. Father, we need that, and we pray for that. We, we confess our need, and we ask you to do it. Father, I want to pray for a brother that, that we lost and heaven gained this past week, for Jacob Seltzer. Father, what a joy he was. Lord, I loved how he knew your word and would quote it happily. Father, make us more like that. Lord, may this church be filled with people that know your word and speak it happily, believe it happily, obey it happily. Lord, I thank you that he knew Jesus and he is now with you. Lord, that is the end of all of us, to be with Christ forever and ever. And if there are any in this room today whom that is not where they will find themselves now. If they've never trusted in Christ today, Lord, do that work in them to show them Jesus. Give them faith to believe and the strength they need to bow before him. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today we're going to do one verse. This one. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That's our text for today. Yet something has changed that I want us to understand. Paul has been using and talking about how God desires all men to be saved, how there's one mediator between God and man, and he uses particular words for desire, the word desire, and the word for men. And yet we come to verse 8, and he, he uses words that are once again translated desire and men, and yet something has changed that we need to understand. Earlier, he spoke of God desiring, and he uses the Greek word thalo. It means willing or wanting, 
that God would like, God desires, that he comes to verse 8, though, and he uses a different word that we get desire from. It's the word bulomai, and it's still translated desire, yet it's a stronger desire that comes across more like a command. Now, think about it. We do this at our house. I could say two things. I want my kids to like Ole Miss even though it will be a life of pain and drudgery and disappointment, I want them to like Ole Miss. And I want them to clean their room. You see the difference? One of those is a desire that I may have that doesn't really matter. One of those is a command that if they don't do this, then we have issues. Now, in this, sex, in this text, it's the same way in this section. Paul's giving a command, not just saying, hey, I'd like men to do this. He says, he says, do it. This is what you are to do. This is a command, and it is a command for men in the church. It's a command for leadership, that men are called to lead in the praying of the church. You okay? Still good? This is why we read the next section too. This is a call to leadership, that men are to be leaders. And this is a call that we actually see throughout the Bible from beginning to end, that men are to be the lead, men are to be the head in the church, in the home, and in the community. Now, I get it already. I know what the world says. In this culture, gender roles have been totally shadowed, totally disfigured, totally sought to be destroyed. I told you a few weeks ago the quote of G.K. Chesterton, who said that civilizations crumble by forgetting obvious things. Here's where we are as a culture, that men can be women and women can be men, that men are now actually winning Women of the Year awards. It's impressive. Even medical professionals are saying that men can have periods and men can have babies. What we're talking about today is no longer politically correct, and it has not been for a while. We're not even supposed to say that men can do things women can't do or women can do things men can't do. That would have been a statement that for thousands of years was totally obvious and nobody had a problem with it, but not anymore. We have forgotten obvious things. And as a society and as a nation, make no mistake, we are crumbling. Unfortunately, this gender confusion has actually taken hold in the church as well. As the church, we have forgotten obvious biblical things that men are to do, and we have forgotten obvious biblical things that women are to do. And so what Paul's going to do right here in these sections is he's going to set us straight. He's going to remind us of what God desires in his church. We're going to have to deal with this the way we dealt with Malachi. If you remember the issues in Malachi, God would come to his people and he would speak to them and they would either obey him and listen or they would dispute with him. They would argue with him. So brothers and sisters, how will we handle the word of the Lord? Will we listen 
Will we follow or will we argue? So men, this charge is for you. Paul's writing this letter to, first Tim, uh, to Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus, a Gentile region. And so they have come into the faith, and he's explaining how the church of God is to function. And the men, he says, are to lead in the praying of the church. Now, if he were writing to a primarily Jewish audience, he would have had no reason to have to say that. You know why? Because the church had always been like that, and the synagogue of the Jews had always been like that. Only the men led the prayers. And so Paul is telling these Gentiles, this is how it's supposed to function in the church of Christ too. It's not just about prayers though, and we need to get this. This is about leadership. This is what is, it is to look like. Now he says to them, the men should pray. And they should pray lifting up holy hands. And so the question for us is, well, what does that mean? Is he, is he talking a geographical thing here, something we're supposed to understand? Well, no. When we think of our hands, what do we think of? The work. The work that we do, the work of our hands, our actions and our deeds. So Paul is saying, men, lead in prayer, lifting up holy hands, bringing before God a life of deeds and actions of work that are in line with the gospel you claim and in pursuit of the holiness that God calls us to. Don't come in prayer, don't lead in anger or in quarreling, but united in the purpose of the mission of God. What is that mission? That all will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, you may say, look, all Christians are to do that. All Christians are be, to be called to live in the mission of God, and that's true, that all Christians are to go and make disciples. So what, what are we talking about here? And this is what we're talking about. What's the difference? The men are to lead in the charge. Why? Because it's how we were made. Men, think about it. What were you made to be? I've heard it said, and I agree, men are like arrows. We are weapons. We are dangerous. And the best way to use them is to aim them at the right target. You don't blunt them. You don't break them. You don't change them. Instead, you put them on the proper course and you let them loose. Understand that men were made by God to be dangerous. Why? Because men were made by God to be protectors. That we have in us a desire for dominion and challenge. We see it in our sons, don't we? They have energy that is almost uncontrollable, and that energy usually causes them to want to get up and fight. And we look at that and we say, well, we've got to stop that. We've got to stop that. And yes, in some senses we do. But what we've got to do is take that energy and focus it on the right thing. This is where our issue comes in. Boys were made to conquer. Boys were made to be on mission. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. This is how men are first described, that creation is first described. Then God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
Look, this is who we are. Who we were made to be. We were made to seek dominion, and it's a wonderful thing. Look, the world has told you it's not. That's why you can kind of hear a pin drop in here right now. This is a wonderful thing, and God has made you like this. Men, you were made by God to be shepherds, protectors, providers, warriors, workmen. We were made to fight, to build, and to create. We were made physically stronger because our task is different than the task of women. The world calls that toxic. And what they've sought to do is to feminize and minimize manhood for 30 years. 30 years of TV has told you how dumb you are. Fathers are not to be respected, not to be listened to. Why? Because Satan wants you discouraged. He wants you defeated. He wants you disrespected. Why? Because a wife and kids and church without men to protect it are easier to conquer. And make no mistake, that's what Satan wants. He wants to take men out of the mission that God has given them. And when we lose our mission, men, we lose ourselves. We lose our purpose, and we start trying to find it in all these places. That's why so many men go through this midlife crisis thing where you, you, you begin to doubt your life, doubt your work, wonder if that's all it is. You grow a mustache, and you buy a Miata. What just happened? What happened? We forgot our purpose. We forgot our mission. So what's the goal in all of this? I'm hoping to take it and kind of reset before us a call that we have as men, the mission that God has given to us, that you are to be a leader in the church. You are to be a leader in the home. You are to be a leader in the community. Now, when Adam was first created and placed in the garden, God brings before him all the animals. And you remember what Adam does? What does he do? He, he names them. That Adam is the one who designates who and what they are. That this is a picture of dominion. You would think that God would do that. But he says, no, Adam, I've made you for this, to tame the world. So go and have dominion. And so he names him. This is Adam taking the lead and the charge of all that God has set before him. And yet what is not found, there is not found among all of it a helper that is suitable for him. So God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he pulls out a rib and from that rib he forms a woman. And Adam wakes up and what does Adam think? Disney movie. Suddenly, everyone's singing. He likes this creation. And then, and then what does he do? Whoa, man. He names her. Did you ever notice? It's that same image, this image of dominion. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. It is an image of headship, of leadership. We see what happens in chapter 3. Satan comes and he deceives the woman. Why? In part because Adam doesn't do what he was supposed to do. 
He doesn't protect her by crushing the head of Satan. He doesn't provide for her by reminding her of who God is and what God has done. He fails in his duty as head and as lead, and, he, and she seeks to take an authority that isn't her. No, you won't die. God knows that if you take of this fruit and eat it, you will be like him. You will be in control. She goes for it. And all creation is thrown into chaos. So God comes to them in discipline. And to the woman, he says this, I will surely multiply your, ch- your pain in childbearing. Ladies, have you noticed? Men, if you've been in the room, have you noticed? In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So what is one of the curses here? that in the most notable identity that women have, that, that, that Eve even has as the mother of all, that she is now cursed in that, and that even mothering will be, even becoming a mother will be to her a pain. Likewise, she's going to have desires that are contrary to her husband to no longer submit, but to seek to overthrow and to rule. And it shall never be good because it was never meant to be like that. And so God says, look, your desires will be contrary to your... Now, strangely enough, it uses the exact same language in the very next chapter describing what Cain is thinking that there is sin going through his mind and he is angry because God didn't accept his sacrifice. And God says, you need to watch out, Cain. What you're thinking is contrary to you. It will destroy you. It uses the same language because it's the same kind of problem. To Adam, he says, look, because you listen to the voice of your wife instead of my voice, Because you submitted to her rather than to me, following her lead rather than leading her, cursed is the ground. Cursed is the work of your hands. In pain, you shall eat of it. It will fight against you, bringing thorns and thistles rather than fruit. So his work shall be labor. It shall be tough. And his home shall be labor. It will be tough. Why? because there will always be strife between the one who is meant to lead and the one who is meant to be led. That from then on, the help meet will seek to be the head. Now, this has been a battle since the fall. Women seeking to lead and men seeking to abdicate the lead. The one who is meant to lead struggles to, and the one who is not meant to lead struggles to try to gain the headship. So men, hear this truth that you will not hear in the world. You were made by God to lead. And where where male leadership is abdicated, life doesn't work the way it's supposed to. When we forget this reality, life begins to crumble. We see it in the church. Let's understand this. No church will rise above the level of godly leadership of the men. It won't do it. So men here in this body, in this church, are you leading? And I don't mean by that that you need to be up here preaching or you need to be up here singing. I don't mean by that that you need to be making all the decisions for what the church should be and do. God's actually given you an under-shepherd to lead. He's done that already. 
But when a need is present, do you jump in? When service is needed, are you, are you willing to do it? When danger is here, will you protect? You are meant to protect. Where the younger are in need of discipleship, are you even able? Look, if you're going to lead, you must first follow your leader. If you're going to be a faithful leader, you must first follow your faithful leader, Jesus Christ. And as you follow him and as you believe in him and as you abide in him, you will be strengthened to lead in all the other areas that he has given to you. Look, for years, we've seen men in churches do nothing. And so the women graciously do it. Thank you all. But it wasn't meant to be this way. Men, you were made to lead. We've seen this struggle too where men don't want to lead or they don't want to lead well or women want to fill roles they weren't meant to fill. Even in Isaiah 3, God speaks about Israel and he's talking about how bad things have gotten in Israel, how far they've fallen. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 3, my people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. That's not a compliment. It's not good. We've seen this problem in many churches, and make no mistake, it's already in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's no coincidence that churches who allow female pastors always come to embrace homosexuality. Always. Did it just get quieter? It's true. Why? Because to suppress the truth of God in leadership always brings the, the crumbling of truth in practice. You're going to see it every time. But is it different to have a church full of men who abdicated their responsibility to that church? No, look, if we're going to be strong as a church, then it will be upon the men using their God-given strength to accomplish their God-given mission and the women using their God-given abilities and talents to accomplish their mission. This is the way it was meant to be. Men, you were meant to lead in the church. Likewise, you were meant to lead in the home. Think about Ephesians 5. Let's just read it together. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You want to know what leadership looks like? That's it and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Husbands, you are called to lead your wife as Christ leads the church. Dominion does not mean domination at all. It's not harsh. It's not rude. It's not prideful. Rather, you lead and love your wife by pouring out your strength for her good. 
for her growth, understanding that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to present this daughter of his back to him. You will give an account for how you did this. You will give an account for how you husbanded your wife. Is that a word? It is now. You will stand before him and Lord willing, you will say, God, here is your daughter. I sought to love her and to lead her. I sought to protect her and to provide for her. I sought to remind her and model for her your word so that she would grow. So that at this very moment, I could present her back to you in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle. You wanted her holy and blemish, and I poured out my life. This was the labor of my hands. Here she is. Let me say something else, because there are single moms in this room, no men in the house, men of this church. If they are open and willing to that, they are your responsibility too, okay? That where there is not present in this church, it needs to be actively sought by the men of this church. What can we do? How can we help? What do you need? If you have a need at all, reach out to the deacons. If you have a need at all, reach out to me. What can we do? Because we know something's missing there. What can we do? This will also show itself in protection. When danger comes, who runs to it? Men. When you hear noises, who goes to check it out? Men. God has made you for this. My nine-year-old daughter asked me recently, Daddy, why can't women be pastors? Well, we're going to get to that in a, a week or so. And I said to her, a, a pastor is a shepherd of the flock of God. What does a pastor do? Or what does a shepherd do? And she said, well, a shepherd feeds the sheep. I said, yes, what else does a shepherd do? And she said, he protects his sheep. And I said to her, men don't send women to fight the wolves. It's not what they were made for. And that is a kindness of the Lord for you. Men were made to fight the wolves. And that's true in the church. And that's true in the home. Women, don't take offense at this. This is his design of love to you, that you don't have to do that because God didn't form you for that. He made men strong in order to fight and give themselves up for you. I know some of you have wondered why men have been baptizing their children lately. Has that question come up at all? You're wondering, what, what, what's happening here? Doesn't the Bible say that it should be pastors that baptize? Or shouldn't it be ordained men or something that, pastor, uh, that, that baptize? Well, the Bible actually doesn't say any of that. So why do we do it? Because the Bible does say this. It does say that the men are to be the shepherds and the leaders and the pastors over their own family that men are to be the spiritual head and lead over their wives and over their children. So why are fathers baptizing? Because they are standing before you saying, this child is mine, that God has entrusted this little girl or this little boy to me, and I'm shepherding them in the strength that God gives me, that that is them taking the leadership that God has given them and committing even before you to be faithful in this calling. Men are called to lead in the home. 
Are you doing it? And man, you're called to lead in the community. How does this look? Here's one way. Stop acting like church work is sacred and your job is just secular and pointless. Stop acting as if the, the fact that you paint or you sell real estate or you work in the medical fields or you do landscaping is not taking dominion and putting beauty into a broken world. It is that your work is a vital part of the dominion mandate. It's bringing order into a fallen world. That it glorifies God because you are doing exactly what he's created you to do. So do it with excellence. Do it with joy each day because as you work with the diligence and strength and faithfulness that God gives you, you are making a declaration to who he is. You are leading in the mission of people coming to see and know God. And and look, I've been here two and a half years. This city needs faithful workers. When you say you're going to do something, do it. When you say you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, be there. We need men who see their work as part of their God-given mission and who long to see this city right here turned to Christ in obedience and faith. I had one of you come up to me just a few weeks ago, and apparently the sermon was so good he couldn't remember what I said. But he did remember how he was challenged by it. And he said, you know what? I feel like my work has been changed. That I see each person that comes before me as a mission, as someone to whom I can show the love and grace and goodness of Christ, that I can be praying for them, I can be there with them. And he said, it's it's transformed the way I see my work. I want to be honest with you. Last thing, last year, I don't know if you know this, things got really hard here. I don't know if I ever told you this. I was trying to leave. I just was. I wanted out. I wanted to go somewhere else. And yet the Lord was so clear in his answer. He said, you're not going anywhere. That may be bad news for some of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going anywhere. I've got you here for a purpose. I've got you here, and I want you to know what I'm doing. And here's what I believe the Lord is doing in here. God is planning to move in this church in order to move in this city and transform it. What we need to know is that Columbus is his. It doesn't belong to anyone else. This is his, and he wants it. So, man, you want a mission? You want that great adventure in your life? This is it. Lead in prayer, lifting up holy hands. Live your life pouring out your strength that God has given you for the good of the church, for the good of your families, your wife and your children, for the good of Columbus. God is moving. And I've never seen a church where the men say, we're going to do this. We're going to lay ourselves down. We're going to pick our strength up and we're going to go to work. I've never seen it. It usually just shows itself in anger, in quarreling, or in laziness. But God's doing something. And he wants the men here to lead in the mission. So let's go. It's going to be incredible. This is his calling. Will you obey? 
Now, good news, ladies. The men got one verse. Y'all have a few more, and we'll start that next time. <laughs> How do you respond? I mean, because I've been reading this all week and just thinking, man, I, I have so much to repent of. So much weak leadership or failed leadership or whatever. And so having to go before God and say, I know you want more. I know you've equipped me and called me for more. How do you repent of this? Men, how do you repent? You may need to confess something to your wife. You may need to just go before the Lord and just say, I haven't done what you've led me to do and called me to do. Women, it may be even on you. Look, I, I, I have sought to take authority where it is not mine, to take lead where it is not mine, and that we find ourselves working against each other even in the home. The Lord has something better for us. And if, they, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. He's gonna cleanse us, but also purify us in our leadership, in our submission, in our homes and in our church, because it's all his anyways. This is the calling of the Lord. Respond accordingly.